the scripture today is from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. This is those words of comfort. Listen as God gives comfort to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated at the throne, and he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give them from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. As you're being seated, I am, uh, uh, if you... Uh, get our emails. You received an email from me just uh, on Friday morning as I was sitting in class at Montreat that I sensed God had redirected us. And so we'll return to our Ephesians series next week. But this morning we're looking in this great passage toward the end of uh, the Word of God, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And as we, uh, as I was thinking through uh, this passage and what God might uh, have for us this morning, I was reminded of something that happened to me in, in 2003. It was um, uh, summer, maybe fall of 2003. I was headed out on my second missionary trip to Honduras. And Trent was six months old. And so uh, I was uh, driving to the airport, of course, excited about uh, this trip to Honduras. What a beautiful country, a great place to go and serve and be. And so I'm on my way there, but in the back of my mind or the front of my mind and deep in my heart is the fact that I'm leaving my six-month-old son behind. And I remember the tears began to flow, and I cried, I think, all the way to the airport, thinking of, uh, of that just bundle of joy that we had enjoyed now for six months. And, and I'm leaving him, going to, uh, to be away for several days. 
as a dad, if you are a dad or a mom in the room, you know how I feel. You know the desire that we have as parents to be with our children, to enjoy time with them. And wow, I just was missing him already and I hadn't left. I would say to you that uh, you multiply that a million billion times over, and that indeed is the heart of God for you. If, if I could just say one thing to us this morning, one truth that I want to stick in your mind and in your hearts is this, God longs to be with you. God longs to be with you. I don't know if you've ever considered this, and we'll dive down a a bit deep for a moment, but I don't know if you've ever considered that prior to creation, God the Father existed with God the Son and God the Spirit in perfect and total loving harmony. There was no disagreement between them. And God the Father loved his son deeply at that time. And the son loved the father. And the spirit loved the father. And the spirit loved the son. And it was a remarkable existence, void of sin, void of the difficulty of life, void of all the things that you and I struggle with when we love one another deeply. That did not exist. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, fully happy at home together with one another. That was the existence prior to us. The joy of that, the, the, the thrill of that, the joy that, that God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had with one another. And in the middle of that, Uh, They created. They created. They created us anyway. Genesis 1.28, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And they created Adam and Eve, and they lived in a garden without sin. We don't know how long they lived there before Satan came slithering into the garden. We have no idea. But he did, and when he did, he enticed Eve, who enticed Adam, and they fell into sin. The question is, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your prized creation, your precious creation, that which interrupted just uninhibited union between you and the, and the Son and the Spirit, what, God, are you going to do now? So what did he do? Genesis 3.8, and today we'll walk all through the Bible. You'll see the, the verses on your screen. And they heard Adam and Eve, the sound of the Lord God doing what? Walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What did God do? He came near. He didn't stay away. In their darkest moment, God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He didn't give up. He didn't give out. He didn't leave. He came in close. Why? 
because God longs to be with you, you may not have realized that, may not understand that. God does what every good parent does when their kid blows it. They come close and they discipline. And Genesis 3 is the discipline of God. He he disciplined Adam and Eve. He banished them from the garden. They had kids who had kids and sin just got worse and worse. If you're seated here this morning and you think you can toy with sin and it be okay, just one generation removed from Adam and Eve, they had two boys, one who killed the other. One who, one generation, one son killed the other. You get the sin that is so rampant that God destroys the earth with, uh, uh, or floods the earth. You get the sin that is so rampant that God confuses languages at the Tower of Babel. And then sin, multiplied by sin, God's chosen people, Israel, end up in Egypt. And when they end up in Egypt in this sin, multiplied by sin situation... God raises up Moses and delivers them out of Egypt. It's a remarkable story of deliverance. God calls Moses then up to the top of the mountain there at Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses up and the mountain begins to tremble. And he says to the people, don't even come near. And so Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. The smoke is billowing from the presence of God. And God calls Moses close and gives him the Ten Commandments and the other laws. Once Moses has received them, 70 uh, elders are called near. Aaron is called near. And and in Genesis 24, look at this. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Here's God. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, They beheld God and did what? They did what? They ate and drank. I find two things interesting about this passage. When they saw God, they could not describe him. They could only describe the the ground on which he stood because God cannot be described. He defies description. But what I find so refreshing and so unbelievable is that God in all of his greatness said, let's eat. Let's eat. Sit down. Let's eat. And they ate a meal together and they drank together. This is remarkable. God sends them away, calls Moses alone upon the mountain. The people return. Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And it is during this time that God gives Moses the plans for the tabernacle. Just all of these chapters after chapter after chapter. Here is the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling place. What is God saying? All right, I've called your leaders up on the mountain. We sat down and ate. And when they go back down from the mountain, and Moses, you go back down from the mountain, one of the things I'd like to do is dwell right in the middle of you. I'd just like to be right in the middle of you, my people. Why? Because God longs to be with you. 
God longs to be with you. If you could just grasp, if you and I could just grasp that, that the multiplied longing and love of the Father to be with you right in the middle of your life, whatever that may be right now. But while Moses is up on the mountain, the people become weary. They think he's there too long, 40 days, 40 nights. And these people who've seen the billowing smoke of the mountain, the greatness of God, decide to build a calf. Aaron, the high priest, is down there. They build a calf and uh, they build this golden calf. And when they do, they begin to worship it. Moses has no clue. He's in the presence of God. He begins to come down the mountain. And when he does... God says to Moses, this is what's happened. And God says, I'll just wipe them out, Moses, and I'll start over with you. Moses, this most remarkable leader, I am convinced in all of Scripture outside of Christ, is Moses. Moses intercedes for those, his people. He speaks up for them. He intercedes. God spares them, but that day God, as a good dad, disciplined his people so much so that 3,000 of them died that day. The book of Hebrews says, as Jose shared on Wednesday, that if you're without discipline, you aren't God's child. And then Moses prays, listen to this prayer. Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God is speaking here. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, look at this. If you've never been to this place in your life, this is where... We all need to be. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? What? makes the people of God different from any other people. It's not the place. It's not because they end up in the promised land, which God did promise to them. It isn't land. It isn't the Tigris and the Euphrates. It isn't the Mediterranean Sea. Yes, wonderful gift, but it's clear from Moses' prayer here, the distinguishing factor of the people of God is the presence of God. It is God with them. It is God in them. It is God working through them. This is the distinction, and so it is today. I have no clue where your life will lead you. I do not know, but I do know that if you know God and he knows you wherever you are, he's there. Amen? He longs to be with you. He longs to be with you in your darkest hour. He longs to be with you in the greatest celebration of your life. He longs to be with you in the pain of suffering. He longs to be with you in the joy of childbirth. He longs to be with you. And so the people wander for 40 years. God is with them. They end up in the promised land. 
God is with them. And then David becomes king. Takes him about two years and he makes Jerusalem capital. And he does this remarkable thing. You see, for 370 years, the Ark of the Covenant, where the glory of God dwelled, God's presence, represented by God's presence, that's what was in the tabernacle, had been in a town called Shiloh. And David said, no, we've got to bring that covenant to Jeru- that Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Look at this. 2 Samuel 6, this is how it happened. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone, look at this, six steps He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, we've learned just prior in this chapter that David took 30,000 men to go get the ark. 30,000 men are marching, ark in hand. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Why are they so excited? Why are they shouting? Why are they thrilled? Because the presence of God is now in their midst. It's now in the capital city. David dies, Solomon comes on, he dies, other kings come and die, the kingdoms divide, they go into exile, and then there's 400 years of silence, and that silence is interrupted by one, Jesus Christ, born not in a good place, not in good circumstances, but John talked about him this way, you can't miss this, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us that word dwelt is the same word in greek as the hebrew word tabernacle in the old testament jesus tabernacled among us there there's no change in god's plan there's no change in his heart he Longs to be with his people so much so that he sends his only son. And John says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glorious of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus did not come and live in some remote or recluse place. He came and he lived among the poor. He lived in a cave-like dwelling. Nazareth was as poor as you could get. I've been there. If you look at the place where they think Jesus would have lived, it's a cave in the side of a mountain. Not even a home with a roof. It is a poor place Nazareth was. And Jesus lived among those people. He loved the common people of his day. That's who he ministered to, who he spent most of his time with. Why? God longs to be with you. Jesus lives 30 years And his entire life is marked by one thing. He is going to die. He says it repeatedly. The disciples don't believe him, but he's going to die. And they just don't get it. But he does. And on the cross, everything seems to unravel. One statement makes you wonder, 
if you followed this storyline all the way through. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, perfect harmony, living together, dwelling among us through the tabernacle, through the temple, through his presence. And then on the cross, it seems to unravel with this one haunting statement. My God, Jesus Christ, my God, why have you forsaken me? What? This eternal union, this eternal union, this Father, Son, Spirit union seems to be rattling right now. It seems to be unraveling. God, what are you doing? Well, Jesus is dying for your sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God cannot be with you and me in our sin. And so he sends Jesus to die for our sin so that he can be with us. Jesus, for that period of time, that union between the Father, Son, and Spirit just rattling, just, just seeming so tenuous for that period of time. Why? So that every sin you've ever committed would not stand between you and a holy God. Such is the serious nature of sin. God longs to be with you. Jesus died and resurrected, and before he ascended to the Father, had a conversation with the people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am what? What does it say, church? I am with you. How, how much? How long? Wow. I'm with you. I'm never leaving you. Do you see this theme that's weaving all through the story of the Bible? Jesus says, go, but I'm with you. Well, how is he with us today? I will give you the spirit. He will live in you. He'll be a guide. He will convict you of sin. He will embolden you to share, share the gospel. He will give you grace. He will give you strength. He will make the truth come alive. He, he will be that. And then Revelation 21, we finally get to the end. To the end. Now, all of this calls for not a circular view of history, but a linear view of history. History does not repeat itself. History has a beginning and an end. And the beginning was God creating Adam and Eve, and the end is when Christ returns. Betty is read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? with men he will dwell with them and they will be his people and and look at this god himself 
The reason that's worded like that, if you could see it in the Greek, is because the pronoun is in there twice. Because it is given emphasis. Not any God himself will be with them. How many times does with them show up in 21.3? Three times. With them, with them, with them. God longs to be with you. Here's another word. Dwell, dwelling place. Do you know what that word is? Tabernacle. It's the same word in in Sinai when Moses is up on the mountain. It's the same word when Jesus is going to dwell among his people. And it's the same word in heaven, God Longs to tabernacle, to dwell among us. On Fridays, I, I teach at Montreat, but at 10 a, I, I lead a verse-by-verse Bible study with a group of young men. We meet in Huckleberry where Wendy works and through Romans. Just verse-by-verse through Romans. Anybody can come and... About, Six or eight men, depending on the day, who come. Friday, joined by these twins. I had not met them before. I'd seen them on campus, but I never met them. Caleb, who's a young man who comes. God's just rocking his world, doing such a great work in Caleb's heart. So awesome to see. Caleb emailed me later. And I shared with him how just... An hour or so before, God had just redirected me for this morning with this word to give to, to you, the, the, the sheep, that I have this privilege of being your shepherd. And they said, well, what is it? I said, well, this is it. And it coincided with where we were in Romans 5, so I just kind of practiced the sermon on them just a bit. And they were weighing in, and what about this, and what about that? And it was just a back and forth, and... So later, I get an email from Caleb. Caleb said, mentioned those two young men's names. He said, four months ago, their mother died. They're from Murphy, North Carolina. They, their faith is being rocked right now. You have no idea what today did for them. No idea. I read his email and I was reminded of this longing of the heart of God to be in the middle of those twin boys' lives right now. So much so that he would land them at this table where I'm sitting, leading this just simple, just verse by verse. And they'd never been before. It would happen to be the day that I would be talking about this, just kind of bouncing this off those young men, and the Lord would take that and weave it right, hopefully into the fiber of their hurting hearts. Do you think God works like that? Yeah. Do you think that, that he longs just to wade into the muddy, emotional, difficult mess of our lives? Yeah. He does. If you're in here and you're a parent, 
I don't know if it's ever occurred to you. Perhaps it has. I, I know it hasn't occurred to your kids. Do you know you do your best parenting when your kids are at their what? Worst. It's when you work the hardest, isn't it? It's when you pray the most. It's when you question everything you do. It's when you, you, you push rewind and you go, oh my goodness, am I, am I getting that right? Am I saying that right? Did I approach this right? Was this too hard? Was this too soft? Did I go here right? Did I do this right? Your mind will just play tricks on you at times and you'll have to step back and go, oh God, I, I just you're the best parent ever. I'm just going to have to let you be you. God parents perfectly. And I'm just convinced on Friday he stepped into those young men's lives and said, Mom may be gone, but I haven't gone anywhere. I've got you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to say something here, and you may disagree with me, but people have been wrong before. Just kidding. Just kidding. I think when God is with us, a new heaven and a new earth are almost incidental. I really do. I would rather be in the muck and mire of life with him than have everything ordered without him, wouldn't you? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. It's so unfair what happens on wedding days. Men wake up, take a shower, get dressed, and they're ready. Women wake up, they go to some beauty place. All the girls go there. They sit for hours. Their hair gets so stiff that you could, you know, uh, hit it with a Mack truck. It wouldn't move. It's there. Then they have to do makeup. The nails have to be good because they're going to have pictures, you know, where the nails are going to show. Uh, The dress has to be perfect, right? They've spent hours choosing this thing. Men are like, it's black. It's a tux. I like it. Women are like, oh, no, no. Well, this look good and this look good. I mean, there's a whole whole show on TV, isn't there? Right? Say yes to the dress. I've ne- yet to see, like, thumbs up to the tux. Why? <laughs> Nobody cares. No one cares. No one cares. No, it's the bride. It's the dress. It's all of that, isn't it? You know, and these women, they come in and they're exhausted. He's like, let's go. And she's like, I'm done gone. I'm done. I'm exhausted. This day's been insanely crazy for me. That's, that's what God's doing right now. Did you get that? The new Jerusalem is prepared as the bride is adorned for her husband. God, right now, is preparing this place. Just like a bride prepares on that wedding day for when she walks down the aisle. And I have the privilege of standing with these grooms and and watching their faces as they see her for the first time that day. 
This holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, if you want to go read the details on it, it is a cube. It, it, it is, uh, uh, it's, has the same length as, as width, as height. As a matter of fact, if it were to drop right here in Marion, it would go all the way to, to Dallas, Texas. It would go up into Canada. It, it's that large. That's what's dropping down on the earth. And I happen to think, based on my study uh, of Scripture, I could be wrong here, that new uh, here means renewed when it comes to the earth, that the fire purifies it. So if you look around and what you see on planet earth, I think we'll still be here, but without all of the mess that we have made it. So that comes down, and then the voice says, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God. God's, God's saying, okay, here's my city, and I'm in it. Gates on all sides. This is our future. This is not make-believe. This is real. Look at this. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I've sat with more than one crying person this week. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I've sat with people in my office this week who dare not leave out the main door lest their tears be seen by others. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's something tender about that. I love the no mores of the new place. And death shall be no more. Then with the family this week, as they said their goodbyes, I'll help with that funeral this afternoon. I grew up with that family, grew up in that home. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things passed away. And then Jesus talks. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And God's people say, Amen. Don't you long for that? Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. John, it is John, Jesus' best friend, who is exiled on Patmos, whose, whose skin is, is burnt with oil, history says, from being persecuted, who's getting this vision. He says, John, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And John says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without what? Payment. I'm just saying to you, if you, if you are included in the thirsty that day, you, you brought no money, you brought no payment to the table, but you drink fully. Your salvation was not your doing. It was the doing of God that he called you, that he made you his, that he made you his son, that he made you his daughter, that he made you an heir with him, and he invites you to come and drink, but there's no payment you can make for that. Well, then you think, I'll just sit back and do nothing. No, look at this. The one who conquers will have this heritage. You fight. 
at times for your faith. Some of you are in here and your faith is wavering like those two young men at the table on on Friday. Your faith is rocked by what you're experiencing in your life. I would just say to you this morning, there's a room full of people in here who are ready to fight with you. There's a room full of people in here who say, we're not going anywhere. We will stand with you. You can overcome whatever it is you're facing, whatever battle you're going through whatever the pain may be God will give you the grace and strength amen church he will give that to you and when you conquer you will have this heritage I will be his God and he will be my what son my daughter but as for the cowardly the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. We could put a big heading over all of that and just call it the unrepentant. Those who love sin and engage in it. I say this with love and I hope appropriate boldness your little slice of heaven is now their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death We're going to sing a few songs. Our praise team is going to come. And these songs bear out this fact that has been since you were created. And that is that God longs to be with This morning, if you are hurting, our staff is here. We have life group leaders all over the room. If you're in their group, they'll see you and they'll join you at the altar. I would just say to you this morning, don't leave like you came. There's nothing magical about this place. But there is something at times powerful about stepping out and stepping up and driving a stake in the ground and saying, by the grace of God, I will and whatever needs to follow that. And I would say to you this morning, if you're here without Christ, God longs to be with you so much so that he was apart from his son when he died on the cross to give you forgiveness let's worship